Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. I'm so excited to have Mel Fisher here with us today. Mel is the training and development leader for BD Plymouth UK. BD is a medical technology manufacturer and is also our sponsor for today's episode. Mel, I hear that you are very passionate about closing the workforce gap by recruiting young people into STEM industries. And we're just so excited to talk to you about this today. Sam, yeah, I'm really excited to talk today and and share, obviously, my STEM journey. Firstly, but can I say that how privileged I am, obviously, to be um, asked onto this podcast. Um, and I'll go through sort of like my career and how I found STEM pretty much late in life. And yeah, so uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, we're excited to just dive into this chat. And like you said, the beginning, you know, figuring out the origin story of Mel Fisher. How did you get interested in STEM originally? Basically, it ended up coming along late, as I say, in my career. I think I was uh, around about 45. Because my career, I've always been in HR and training. I am the work at BD Plymouth UK. And I'm the, uh, as you've already said, training and development leader here. And Part of HR is obviously recruiting for the future, and it came sort of like to light um, around about 2014 that obviously there was STEM skills gap in the UK and pretty much around the world. How I actually got through HR and training the journey was literally from the age of 16. I've always worked in manufacturing, and I sort of fell into my job, not related to STEM in any way, shape, or form. If anything. <laughs> My personal STEM skills are um, severely lacking. Don't ask <laughs> me to do. Do not ask me to do maths. I am useless <laughs> at it. But yeah, it's um, so secretary at sixteen, and way back then it was literally you're a female, uh, go to type in school, and you'll get a job as secretary somewhere. Uh, and that that's the way back, sort of like in obviously in the in the early nineteen eighties. That that's the way it was. So I ended up in manufacturing, uh, fell into HR, to be fair, because um, I happened just to be a secretary for an HR person, uh, and then started my HR uh, journey. So for uh, 20 years, I was in food manufacturing, um, hiring and firing, uh, doing all the HR sort of like roles within a company. And then uh, 18 years ago, I joined BD Plymouth. Part of my role again was HR as the HR partner, and then probably four years into my career I changed to just solely training but also had responsibility for apprentices. Working in Plymouth I've done that for about 30 years and if, if I can explain to your listeners Plymouth is located on the south coast of Devon and it's about 200 miles away sort of like southwest of London and because our plant is based in Plymouth Plymouth has the highest concentration of manufacturing employment in the whole south coast of Britain. Uh, so basically, it provides a lot of opportunities in process engineering, advanced manufacturing. 
So just to, to give you an idea, 60% of all employment in Plymouth is therefore STEM related. And that, yeah, is, we are one of, known as one of the biggest cities in the UK, or definitely in England anyway, uh, for, for having STEM related jobs. BD Plymouth is uh, 900 plus employees and our site manufactures medical products, primarily so like blood, blood evacuated tubes. So if ever you've had uh, y- y- your blood taken, uh, as long as you don't pass out, have a look and potentially you might see BD on the actual tube. So, so that's what we make here at Plymouth. And as you can imagine, lots of machines, production lines, both old and obviously new technologies. So that gives you sort of like a background of, of the plant that I work in. So I got involved, as I say, sort of um, about four years into my career to do with um, apprenticeship recruitment. And our apprentices were engineering. And round about 2014, I started to hear this word STEM. Prior to that, to be honest, never really came across it. And obviously, in all of my years as HR, I'd taken on engineers and, and but didn't really realise there potentially would be a shortage. So then obviously the, 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 the STEM for the UK and the, the gaps started becoming known, reported in papers, uh, reported over the internet. And I started thinking, you know, how is this going to affect us? So um, back in 2013, Engineering UK reported that obviously we'd need approximately 87,000 people per year over the, uh, the next 10 years to meet demand. And obviously, we've also got an aging workforce, which is the same for BD. We've still got an aging workforce. And back then, it was literally reported that the UK was fe- you know, facing, a, a, as they put it, um, an unprecedented skills crisis. Uh, the Royal Academy of Engineering said we needed over a million engineers and technicians by 2020. Obviously, we're now in 2023. And it was basically a doubling of annual engineering graduates and apprentices that were needed. So there had to be a step change of some sort. The UK government also flagged a healthy engineering sector as being vital to its economic and environmental goals. Um, but there's still, unfortunately, a huge surplus of vacancies, over 173,000 uh, estimated to cost the UK economy around 1.5 billion a year. And as I started to hear about this word STEM and thinking of my engineering apprentices and trying to obviously think for the future, it came to light and my understanding that obviously some of this, a major factor, was a shortfall in education. The number of students taking up STEM at school and then sticking with it through university and moving then into a relevant sector just was not happening. It was looking quite bleak, if I'm honest. Uh, And then on, on top of that, was a really worrying factor was obviously the lack of women and girls in the field. So with this skills crisis, it was it's really when I realised that our future pipeline of talent was drying up, as simple as that, uh, due to the decline of young people taking up STEM. So as I said before, we, I knew we had to do something. So, so what kicked it off actually was uh, I attended a Women in STEM event at University of Plymouth back in, I think it was 2016. And then I started to learn more about it, started realising what the, the skills gap was. Uh, then wherever there was a, a local event or activity in the city of Plymouth, I went along. So um, we're part of a group called Plymouth Manufacturing Group. So I used to go along to meetings with them where it started to be discussed, as I say, way back in sort of like 2016. Um, and BD was really supportive, um, letting me go along to these meetings, etc. Because really it wasn't a part of my job. It was just I was more 
interested in it, I suppose. And then where it changed was actually I attended a Women in STEM event the, the next year, the same one in, um, in Plymouth, in Plymouth University. And the manufacturing director at the time came along with me. And that's when things really started to change here at BD Plymouth uh, because he recognised, brought into it and started to support it at senior le- leadership level that, yeah, we need to do some sort of good, robust outreach programme. And then in addition with that, the local city council of Plymouth, they launched their STEM strategic plan and BD became a part of this citywide implementation and became part of uh, Plymouth STEM board. So that's how it sort of like started and that's how I got into it. So it's quite late, as I say, sort of like started 2014-15 and then the, the outreach program and all the events and activities kicked off really for me, sort of like in 2017. Mm. And in your role as training and development leader, you both attend and organize STEM recruiting events in your community, which you touched on just now. What are you hearing from the younger generation at these STEM events, especially from women and girls? Is there a a sort of common theme that you're picking up on? Yes, most probably. Because obviously STEM, as as we all know, science, technology, engineering and maths, Obviously, uh, to, to, to be honest, obviously, I'm more concentrating on the engineering part because uh, obviously that's uh, the lifeblood of, of, of BD Plymouth going forward. And what we're finding is when we do these events or uh, when we go and speak to young people, for some, believe it or not, it's still seen as a dirty oil rag trade. They don't understand what an engineer is all about. And one of our things, um, sort of like I may have a a room full of students, and I just asked them to draw what an engineer might look like. Um, the majority, seriously, in 2023, the majority will still draw a stick figure with a spanner and perhaps a screwdriver or a hammer or an oil can. Mm. When obviously, as we know, engineers are, uh, it's, what isn't an engineer? <laughs> Simple as that. Right. <laughs> so we, we find locally that some schools don't have engineering specific lessons built into their curricula. They may have maybe design technology. I am noticing a slight trend in this um, and found out, which is brilliant news, that one school that we deal with, which is an all-girls school, has now um, got engineering on their curricula. But we're finding from most events that, especially with women, uh, young girls, that unless that young girl is 100% committed to being an engineer and passionate about that career pathway, only then will they succeed. Otherwise... If they haven't got the support from their teachers or their parents, then it almost like drifts away because the classrooms for engineering and, and design technology are still unfortunately really male or dominated. So the, what the problem is, is trying to reach those young women who may not realise that um, engineering could be a career path. That is the really big challenge. I, um, when I knew I was coming on this podcast... I asked for stories from a couple of my female engineering apprentices. One told me that her school did did offer both engineering and resistant material classes, um, but she was the only female in the class. And unfortunately, the male teacher was not helpful. He would make comments about how she was a girl all of, t- all of the time. Her, fa- her family were key, though. They were 100% on board with her becoming an engineer. But because of that one experience with that teacher... She was she, she passed all exa- engineering exams, but she was made to doubt herself. And she really didn't think that engineering was a right fit for her, but she, she stuck to her guns. Uh, and I know. And also with some others, 
are limited STEM activities during the school years. Um, there are companies are now doing more and more outreach programs like BD, but but there needs to be more. Um, in their own words, the lack of exposure uh, to, to STEM STEM activities, actually hands on, not just taught in the classroom. They believe it is 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 an obstacle. And then someone else said that they could never value themselves to be in a STEM career. Um, and she again, it was a, it was a young girl. She uh, it was lack of confidence that steered her into a different direction. So she was heading away from engineering, but luckily she popped along to a career event where BD had a pop-up stand. She talked to, to us, talked to our engineering apprentices, both male and female, and, and she applied and she's with us today, which is brilliant. And she wished that she believed in herself sooner. So when I heard this, and I, I see it time and time again at career events, especially in young, young women, that um, they, they doubt themselves all the time but that one was a win because if she hadn't come across to the BD stand you know she wouldn't be with us now and we basically changed her career path changed her life potentially so it's it is sometimes frustrating because there are common obstacles but for, for male and female to be fair where um, they don't realize what opportunities are out there unless you've got a, a company that is willing to do an outreach program and go to see them mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, BD Plymouth also has a four-year engineering apprenticeship program. So for someone hearing this right now who might be younger and looking to explore this career path, this could be something really helpful. Can you tell us more about how this program is helping to fill that STEM skills gap and what makes it so special? I mean, you've alluded to it a little bit. Um, so our engineering, uh, engineering program is um, a four-year program. It is part of uh, the UK. The UK has apprenticeship standards, one of which is a level three engineering. Um, and they could do different pathways within the apprenticeship, whether it's a tool maker or it might be a quality engineer or a mechatronic engineer, um, obviously maintenance and electrical looking after obviously machinery. We obviously advertise for it and then go through a process where obviously it's online applications then there's some online um, sort of like testing. Then there's an actual face-to-face uh, assessment day. Uh, and then obviously we, we sort of like whittle it down to, to the apprentices. The engi- I'm very proud of BD's engineering program. But again, another sad fact in a way is this year had 85 applicants of which one was female. And then that one female decided not to go ahead with it. And when we uh, contacted her, she was like, no, I don't think engineering's for me after all. So, so, so that's the constant battle of, of, of trying to get, obviously, young women into engineering. But yeah, so they, um, they go to college for four years. It's one day a week. And then the other four days they're here at BD. They have mentors. They stay pretty much with the same mentor in the four years. Uh, they obviously are supervised but they learn that they learn literally by um, shadowing, mentoring, and then obviously when they're ready, they can do some jobs on their own. Then uh, what happens is they will go on a shift in year three or year four, uh, and our program attracts literally 16-year-olds up to I think the eldest was 33. So they just did a total career change in their life, and they were the best candidates uh, for that particular year that we were taking on. So, yeah, it, it's not age-restricted, our engineering apprenticeship. Um, and they could end up anywhere in our factory. Uh, it could be in the tool room. 
It could be on uh, one of our lines, push button, could be in our molding. So we do injection molding here on site. Or as I say, it could be metrology or quality. So sometimes what we do is if somebody's taken on for a certain role, but we see that they're shining with a certain set of skills, we look to see if we have a potential vacancy in four years time, and then we may move them. Doesn't happen very often, but we always try and match, obviously, the inherent skills and loves of an apprentice to, to a role that we know that they're suited. Um, but what we do do is we make sure, however many apprentices we take on a year, that we forward plan four years in advance to make sure that there's a job, a permanent job there for them. Because with some apprenticeships, it, with some of the companies, there isn't normally a guarantee. Um, so we make sure that there is a headcount there. Then obviously, if they've successfully gone through their four years, then they know that obviously you know, BD is a great place to work. And if everything works out right, then that, that they become obviously a technician after the four years. That That's a really encouraging thing for someone to hear who's interested in this, but might, as you've been talking about, be facing some doubts of perhaps what their yeah. longevity and trajectory looks like down this career path. So that that promise essentially is a really encouraging thing to hear. Yeah, well, we definitely don't take on more than we know that we could give a full-time position to. Um, another part of being an apprentice, um, uh, and it's one of the things that we changed um, back actually in sort of like 2017, is part of apprenticeship, if you want to become an apprenticeship and they know upfront, is they have to become a STEM ambassador. Mm. So they're, they're passing on the love of STEM. So literally, they are some of the advocates that go out with me to career events. So then the, the, the students at the schools or colleges can relate because um, some are the same age. Um, you know, so we have 16-year-old apprentices going out to schools that they just left back in July. Right. So that, that, that's a really good hook into, so oh, hang on, if so-and-so can do it, maybe mm-hmm. that's, a, that's, a, that's a career for me. Uh, and we also go into schools where we have... Um, we, we link in with schools where they can send some of their students for a work experience week. So that's when the students may be like 15. So they'll come to us for a week. Um, and again, they're mentored and whatever. And we find probably at least 50% of those would then the following year, um, obviously when they're 16, they would then apply to be, to see if they could become a BD apprentice. So it's, again, it's, it's trying to give all different avenues to the young students to see, you know, here we are, this is BD, this is what we do, you know, do you think obviously it's something that, you know, could suit you for, for a career in engineering? Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's a lot of avenues that people can go down, but when we think of women in STEM, which is something that we've been talking a lot about in our conversation, we think of scientists, perhaps, engineers, but what's really interesting about your story is that as you mentioned, you have an HR background, yet you found this passion for recruiting youth specifically into STEM, and you've made that now your mission. So what advice do you have for anyone listening who wants to help young people specifically enter STEM fields? Um, well, personally, I think we should all encourage young people to, to, to enter STEM fields, not just those of us with a passion uh, like I have. So along the way, for example, I've... Um, encouraged, shall we say, <laughs> engineering <laughs> leaders to attend events with me. And then some of these engineering leaders may never have been exposed to, to these events and activities, but now they are advocates for, for STEM. 
um, and they in turn encourage others. My advice re- really would be um, definitely hands-on learning. It, it's a great way to ensure young people get involved. And that's what our events do, that they're hands-on and somehow try and put a fun twist on something that you know a student may normally think is boring because obviously learning by doing also teaches skills like problem solving and encourages imagination and curiosity. So if somebody wants to get into STEM and, and sort of like and help young people, um, it's obviously try and find a company that outreach STEM events or see if your company would be willing to support, create your own hands-on learning. And if you work out a good, I found with, with BD, if you work out a really good idea, and it's well thought out. You go to them, see if they'll support it. Obviously, you can attend events in your own time. But also, it's it's not just about getting people involved and helping. It's also when you are hard talking to a young person, best advice for them would be to do proper research, get them to talk to employers. Um, if they can, get work experience. Uh, speak to a careers guidance professional and other professionals perhaps working in the, in the industry. And really really key for me for for any young person is to believe in themselves especially females because they they, they doubt themselves so much you'll think well no that can't be for me especially because it is still unfortunately male-dominated arena Uh, but yeah going out to them and and being a positive role model and to find the stem that they already love and that and that goes for somebody reaching out as well uh, there's so many STEM resources and activities that can just be found on the internet and just search for one that fits you, fits the young people that you're trying to, um, you know, get involved with. But basically, for me personally, I'm finding more and more now, um, if I was to give advice about STEM uh, and people wanted to help, is actually now, and this is the next part of our strategy, is going into primary schools. So, so we've done secondary schools. Um, but we're finding we've got to get into to, to the younger uh, students uh, to, to prepare them for active participation in, in, in the future because it's going to be their future. Um, we need to produce a generation, obviously, that are really interested and skilled in STEM because um, we need to prepare them for jobs that potentially may not even exist now because technology and, and obviously it, it's yeah, it's, it's going on at such a rapid pace. It's we need to really engage with with the primary school children to see you know take along real life engineers, uh, take along young apprentices, so that obviously that they can inspire more of them to pursue careers in you know in STEM. So then they'll take that hopefully to their secondary school. So it's really vital for for future job prospects. So that's going to be our next step is to basically go into primary schools as well, not not ignoring secondary, to help all young people really enter STEM fields. You were speaking there about resources for people. BD has a women's initiative network, uh, including a subgroup called Win Plus STEM, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And of course, you are a Win Plus STEM lead for BD Plymouth. Can you let us know what this initiative is and how exactly it's helping women within the company? Okay. So um, BD have have groups called ARGs, which is Associate Resource Groups. One of those is is explaining where STEM, Win Plus STEM comes from. So then uh, one of which is WIN, which is Women's Initiative Wet Network, which is actually the oldest and largest ARG at Plymouth. 
um, at BD, sorry. Um, and it was founded way back in 2013. So WIN, Win focuses on supporting women with members coming from a variety of backgrounds and experience and any gender. And then you have WIN plus STEM, but it's not a separate ARG. It's still part of WIN. But what WIN plus STEM does ensures that all associates obviously in STEM careers at BD finds an inclusive environment, opportunity, support, and to drive change, uh, especially in the historically male-dominated disciplines. And the, the, the WIM plus STEM group really understand that this population of women have a unique set of needs, given that they are a minority in their fields. So basically, WIN plus STEM was created as part of WIN to ensure that they have that support that they need. Um, there is a, a BD Win global leadership core team who act as a representation of WIN members worldwide, uh, and we support in all communities via cross-ARG engagements. Uh, we, we share best practices, keynote speakers, uh, there's program I Am Remarkable, there's chats with a purpose, uh, we share STEM outreach programs, there are uh, fireside chats, various meetings monthly, quarterly. Uh, I'm part of the um, EMA, uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa region uh, team. Uh, there's global quality meetings. And then obviously we've got our BD intranet. Um, the, there's obviously the, the WIN pages, ARG, there's learning videos, all types of resources. And it's a really close community where um, we can reach out, network, whether it be phone, teams, um, or just as I say, by meetings that are, are set up and training. So. It's really a wonderful initiative, which really helps women within BD globally. I mean, it, we're, it's really inspiring to hear your story and your trajectory and how you've had this incredible career as a leader in the training and HR space. We, uh, in a previous episode, have talked to someone about the idea of imposter syndrome or imposter complex. Have you ever faced self-doubt or that imposter syndrome sneak along along your career trajectory hmm. basically i always face self-doubt i'm terrible <laughs> i i suffer i suffer in lack of confidence about myself my abilities um but what i have got is a brilliant support network at home and at work so through that um i try not to compare myself to others and i look at what i've tried to achieve in the past because i am my biggest critic so if I, if I get down sort of like where I'm sort of like doubting, et cetera, et cetera, I'm thinking, oh, what's worrying me? I, I literally have to stop myself. And then from there, I've got to work out how to overcome my lack of confidence in whatever scenario it is. So um, a great example would be I'd be presenting something. I think I'm coming across terrible or I can hear the nervousness in my voice. But what I do is, is with those that I trust, I ask them afterwards and just say, oh, how did it come across? And I don't necessarily say, up front that, you know, I, I felt nervous. But just say, oh, no, I came got across really well. And I was just like, well, just so you know, and, and I'm open and willing to share. I'll say, oh, I was really nervous and whatever. And they'll go, really? I didn't see it. So it just wow. gives me that little bit more self-confidence. Mm -hmm. um, imposter syndrome, definitely, because when I was asked on this podcast, I thought, oh, I'm not an engineer. No, no, <laughs> I'm an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you're, but so, you're not an engineer you're a conduit though you are yes. the hand that reaches out you are that bridge that is necessary to help elevate people in their career yeah. totally agree because i thought wow 
I was I was blown away when I was asked to be on it, but I must have said, this, this is nuts. Uh, but how I overcame it is because I wanted to share BD Plymouth's story. I'm passionate about STEM, uh, changing lives, changing young adult lives, you know, and and all the different activities that we do and roll out, you know, what, what can be better than that when, when you've touched a life and potentially changed their career path? Yeah, that's a big deal. And that's nothing to sneeze at. So among your many <laughs> lists of accomplishments and wonderful things that you've built up, you also have a great sense of self-awareness and sense of humor to go along with it. And those are important <laughs> things too. <laughs> thank, thank you. Before we wrap up our conversation today, Let's look toward the future. What do you think is going to be the key to closing this workforce gap in STEM that we've talked about extensively? Are there any trends that you are seeing for the future? We still, in some cases, do need to change perception of STEM careers. It's getting better. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the issues of gender are still there. It's improving, but slowly um, because girls outperform boys at school do not continue mm. to stem stem careers in the same way and and that's the frustrating part um yeah. we, we need to let them know that women can be able to see themselves in that job um like i've already said 100 percent engaging primary schools is, is key um and finding those role models because lack of role models is a huge obstacle so again this is where we go in with some of our activities that we've built ourselves um, the different sort of um, building a BD STEM centrifuge in cardboard, that sort of thing. We take our apprentices along so they can be uh, role models regardless of their age. And again, it, it's, it's stepping over that gender stereotype that STEM fields are male dominated, which can discourage girls from pursuing the subject. So um, that's pretty much what the obstacles, I would say, and, and the trends, as I say, that the not so much a trend to to try and bug this gap. Um, we need to start going into primary schools more. And for someone hearing this who is interested in uh, BD and finding out more about the opportunities, what is the best way to reach out? So if it's just a straight career, then basically um, you can go to BD um, bd.com forward slash careers. Um, if it's actually STEM related, then um, if somebody goes into bd.com and then searches for their nearest um, plant manufacturing or site uh, and then reach out to them because um, if they don't know, they will find a contact through our BD intranet of someone who's interested in STEM. So it could be a school anywhere in the, in the, in the globe, on, uh, look at the website, find their local nearest site um, and then they can be directed to somebody that's involved in STEM to see if any outreach, work experience or whatever it may be, it is possible. And one last thing before we let you go, is this open to uh, students and young people from abroad as well? Because we have lots of listeners in, of course, the States and Canada yeah. will be curious about this. So um, we share best practices. So obviously yeah, we can share obviously what we do at Plymouth in the UK and the career events that we go to, the STEM activities that we've built. Um, that could be taken into to any school. Um, so we're happy to share that. Um, so uh, by all means, people can, can contact, obviously, BD Plymouth and get um, directed to myself. Um, but as I say, sort of, um, there is STEM, um, wind STEM groups literally ar around the globe. 
So if they literally do BD.com um, and search, they'll find their local, uh, the nearest one to them, and then find out um, if they've got an active um, Win Plus STEM uh, and go from there. Because if it isn't local to them, it may be um, that they can arrange something where it can be given to them and they can use it themselves sort of just by sharing materials. Mel Fisher of BD Plymouth, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. No, thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for having me on your podcast and basically letting me share my personal STEM journey with uh, you and your listeners. Thank you. From all of us at Sweet, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.